Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. Checking in about food allergies and introducing allergenic foods. And have you done peanut with your baby yet? Well, intact nuts and thick globs of nut butters like peanut butter are choking hazards for babies, but we want to get that peanut protein into your baby early and often in order to help lower the risk of peanut allergy down the road. My absolute favorite way to introduce peanuts for babies is using the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs. So When you hear puffs, like you're probably like, oh, those starchy little puff things. Like, no, no, no. Not the little ones that earlier eaters can't pick up. Those kind of crappy puffs from the store that have added sugar and refined grains and lots of salt. Uh uh. The Puffworks baby peanut puffs have no added sugar. They have just a smidge of sodium for preservatives, and they are the perfect size for baby led weaning. They're about the size of your adult pinky finger. So, you can, baby can pick them up, self-feed them, but they're so soft that they dissolve in your baby's mouth so you can introduce these peanut puffs even before your baby has teeth. Puffworks also makes a baby almond puff for the safe introduction of a separate allergenic food category. That's tree nuts. And now, finally, Puffworks put out a combo case. So it's half baby peanut and half baby almond. So if you want to grab one case, then you can knock out two new allergenic foods. We do these on different days, though. These are just the no-stress, low-mess way to get peanut and tree nut out of the way. So you can get 15% off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's BLWPOD. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way. If the baby's on the high chair, are we with the baby and focusing on the baby? We are not playing with our phone. We are not watching TV. We're not in phone calls. We are right with the baby and we might be eating. If our goal in feeding is to help babies be internally motivated to eat enough and enjoy it, then we want them to initiate how much they want to eat at each meal and how they want to explore foods. But if we stand over them and say things like, well, have a bite, here's a different one. How about this one? Yay, you ate that one. If we do a whole lot of sort of cheerleading, We're taking the attention away from their motivation to eat. You know, we wanna make sure that the motivation for eating is coming from the baby. We give them cups, we give them spoons, we give them straws, we give them different shapes, foods, and sizes of foods. It's their pace as they go forward with that. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. I don't know about you guys, but remembering to use positive language at mealtimes does not always come naturally to me. I'm the first one to be like, no, if the baby drops something or does something that I don't want to. But my guest today is the queen of positive language and support and empathy and connection. Marsha Dunn-Klein is back on the podcast today, T 
teaching us about some easy techniques to support our baby through empathy, readiness, and connection. Marsha Dunklein is an occupational therapist. She's a feeding therapist. She's the founder of the Get Permission Institute. She's been on the podcast numerous times. I'm going to drop a bunch of her other interviews in this episode description because like if you haven't heard or learned from Marsha, once you start, you can't stop. I know for me personally, she's just like constantly lighting me up. Always have a smile on my face when I talk to her. And I loved this conversation where she really is talking about letting our babies show us internally how they're motivated to eat. And it's going to take a lot of pressure off of you if you're feeling like, oh my gosh, my baby's not eating as much as I want or I think they should be. Marsha Dunklein is here to help us support our babies at mealtimes through empathy, readiness, and connection. Here's Marsha. Hi, Katie. It's great to be here. And thank you for all you do to share information to, for families all around the world. Oh, my pleasure. I have a huge smile on my face. I just love chatting with you. You're always working on a million different interesting projects. I don't know how you balance it all, but curious, could you tell us what work endeavor you're working on right now that's really exciting you these days? I'm really involved with Get Permission Institute. It's an online teaching platform where we're putting lots of information out there for professionals. We have a free class on that website called Dear Parents for Parents, and we're developing more material for parents and professionals all the time, Katie. So I'm loving that. And at the end of April, I'm doing a presentation for Feeding Matters for their annual conference. And I'm really excited to think about ways to challenge we therapists out here to sort of shift our thinking in pediatric therapy towards a much more compassionate lens. So that's one of my favorite topics right now. And we're going to talk about some of those things today. Ooh, compassionate feeding therapy. I like this. So last time you were on the podcast, Marcia, we were talking about pre-feeding skills and you were sharing things that parents and caregivers can do with their baby before they start solid foods. In this interview, we're going to fast forward to the point where the baby actually has started learning how to eat some solid foods or is starting to explore something beyond infant milk. And you talk about the importance of supporting your baby with empathy, readiness, and connection. So I want to go through each of those three attributes, if you could define what they are and why they're important or how you would describe them maybe. So let's start with empathy. You know, I think empathy is really important for us as humans. I think Atticus talked to Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird and said to her, you don't really know somebody until you've gotten into their skin and climbed around in it for a while. And I think about that as an important way for us to relate to people. And as a therapist, I think we need to have empathy and understand what parents are going through. And when you're a new parent, you're worried about when to feed your child and how much and what. As a therapist, I wonder how a baby's doing when they're struggling and what's going on in their body. And we want to help parents think about the concept of empathy. Hmm, I wonder what's going on in my baby's body right now. I wonder if what I'm offering is working or not working. Katie, you know that I come at feeding from a very responsive feeding approach. You know, and I believe feeding is communication back and forth between the baby and the parent. And you know that I talk a lot about, I, I think it's important for us to give babies opportunities, opportunities to meet food, opportunities to be at the mealtime. Those opportunities are really important, but sometimes the baby isn't quite ready for it. You know, and, and so if a baby's being hesitant or worried or turning their head, 
Instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, it's my job right now to put this food in my child's mouth because I'm supposed to, can we think and be curious? Hmm, I wonder what's going on for the baby today. You know, Katie, there's so many reasons why a baby wouldn't eat, eat a food that was put on their tray. You know, they might not feel well. They might be getting a tooth. They might not be feeling quite as comfortable in their sitting skills and maybe hanging onto the high chair just to sit up. There's lots of things that could be going on for that baby. And so in empathy, what we're doing is encouraging parents to, to, to wonder, to be curious, and to think about how can we create really, really positive experiences around mealtime so that this baby is comfortable and excited and wants to be there at the, in the high chair and learning about food. So we got empathy. You covered readiness. Can you talk a little bit about connection? When babies are born and they're doing early feeding, they are connecting um, with their parent. The parent is who's helping them make their world safe and trusting. Their parent is the person that's giving them food when they're hungry and changing their diaper when they're wet and putting them to sleep. The parent is who helps them build trust in their world. And from that trust place, Babies learn, oh, I'm okay. I can regulate myself a little bit with my grown-up's help. I can learn to be brave. And after a while, we all know those babies that sit on parents' laps and now they're getting ready to get down and move away from their parents and then look back at their parents and connect with them and go, are you still their parent? And it's the connection. It's the relationship. It's the proximity of that parent that gives that baby bravery to try new things and explore the world and feeding is such a big adventure. So we want to make sure we remember that when we're offering babies food, we're offering them in a way that they feel supported and connected. And when they're a little worried, we know they're going to look to us for some extra support for that connection to help them feel brave and work through those little worries and wiggles, right? Absolutely. Katie, I saw a baby recently who was under a checklist of ideas would be ready to start baby led weaning. A really excited, delighted mom. The baby was, you know, maybe just just six months of old or of age, like just to the day. And she was saying, saying to herself, "Well, my baby's six months. It's time to do baby led weaning." But the baby was placed in the high chair, and the parent offered all the, you know, the first two weeks, all kinds of great kinds of foods, and the baby was worried. When I saw a video of this baby, this baby's eyes were wide, wide open. She kept looking at the parent and looking at the food and hanging on to the side of the high chair and just had worry. And you and I both know that babies are all so unique and different. Some jump right into those first opportunities and are thrilled to explore all the sensory aspects of those foods. And others are kind of saying, well, maybe, but I'm not sure. But What I picked up on in this baby's videos was her worry. Some babies are more worried than others. Some are more brave. So the mom was saying, gosh, I'm worried. Why why isn't she doing any of this stuff? And so I said to her, instead of changing the food, instead of changing what you're doing, you're doing the right offers. Could you do one thing? Could you connect a little closer to the baby? Because it looked in the video like the baby was sitting in that high chair on an island Both parents were standing over this child saying, hey, you want to try it? Here's some food. Here's some other food. Here's some other food. And really, all we did was say, hmm, for this baby right now, could you put her back on your lap? 
could you give her just a little more support? Leaning right there on that nice little food mat, still put food out in front of her, giving her just a little more trunk support and a little more emotional support, a little more connection. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. Okay, I know parents are going to ask, when you take the baby out of the high chair, doesn't the baby then become conditioned to expect being able to sit on your lap? And if ultimately long-term, we want the baby to sit in the high chair, when do you make that call of being like, okay, we're, I know you're talking about the very first few days where you might do things differently, but for parents that are constantly needing to hold the baby and not allow them to sit in the high chair, where do we, where do we make that break or know the baby should be sitting in the high chair? You know, I feel like it's a call we have to make individually. Of course, our goal is that that baby's in that high chair being independent, celebrating autonomy, doing it themselves. It's messy. It's a, it's a great and a terrific place for babies to learn about feeding. And we need to be aware that in the beginning, not all babies have the same sitting skills. Not all babies have the same motor planning skills. And just because we want them to be in the high chair someday, I believe, we can, for those babies that have extra worry, right, we can start them in our, in our lap. I mean, if you think about it, Katie, if you've got a four-month-old or a five-month-old, they can sit on your lap while you're eating. You're not expecting them to eat lots of food. They're just learning about the mealtime. So this baby is, in my mind, in that category of still just learning about food in positive ways. When the baby shows that they have skills in terms of I can use my arms separately from my trunk, I can reach, I can bring things to my mouth. I'm kind of interested in this whole process. I would want to then turn the baby back towards the high chair, but of course, still make it a mealtime, still sit with them, still be there. And the lap period is not much different than that four or five month period where they're just around food. It's just that the expectation is that this baby isn't quite showing the enthusiasm on day one of six months, but on day 14 of six months or day 27 of six months, their emotional and physical readiness may have changed. So when we think about this big concept of readiness, we, we have to think about what we are offering when we, when we talk to parents about how to do baby led weaning and what kind of foods work and, and, and how the high chair is a great idea and all those things. Those are all extremely important, valuable bits of information and 
we can never lose track of the idea that we are still offering this baby food within the environment of that baby's temperament and that baby's skills at the moment and being very aware that there is some fluctuation in typical temperaments. There are some variation in the way that children feel emotional ready for some challenges and regulation on their own. And that's so important for parents to hear from you, Marsha, who's fed tens of thousands of babies over a number of decades, because for a lot of people listening, they have one baby and have maybe only ever fed or are trying to feed one baby and realizing, you know, this distinction between emotional and physical readiness and not, it doesn't, they don't just wake up on their six month birthday and you flip the switch and like, now they need to get all their nutrition from food. And yet there are many parents that carry those ideas into the second half of infancy. So I know I appreciate as well as people listening, the reminder that all babies are different and they're going to get ready on their own schedule. And as a feeding therapist, you work with families and you see babies when things are not going well. And I think for families who maybe, gosh, does my baby need feeding therapy? And we've, we've covered that in other episodes, but could you share a situation whereby, like you talked about the mom and the dad that were kind of like standing far away from the high chair and you asked them to come closer and interact more with the baby. Can you give some other examples of things not to do? And I know you're not doing it from a judgmental space, just like suggestions that you would make in a typical feeding therapy session in order to encourage more connection based on things that you're seeing or witnessing where there's a disconnect between the baby and the family. Yes. You know, the disconnect is often completely well-meaning. As a parent, I want so much to do the right thing and have my baby eat, right? But I always want to remind us, it is not our job to make kids eat or get food in them as grownups. And it is our job to support their learning. And when we talk about baby-led weaning or any transition to solids, the assumption is for most babies, they are breastfeeding or bottle feeding and getting all their nutrition that way. So we don't have to be in a big hurry to say, I started feeding my baby today and by tomorrow, I expect they're getting, you know, a bunch of meals every day and they're going to be perfect in this transition. It is a process. And you and I have said this before, we introduce foods to babies. And one of the things we're looking for is what do you love? What do you love? And so it's not that, that we want to help that parent not feel that pressure that my child needs to eat a whole lot right away. They will show you their skill. They will show you their enthusiasm and they will show you their progress as we, we introduce a variety of things. I think it's important also to remember this is new territory for this baby. Can we sit with the baby? If the baby's on the high chair, are we with the baby and focusing on the baby? We are not playing with our phone. We are not watching TV. We're not in phone calls. We are right with the baby um, and we might be eating. And if our goal in feeding is to help babies be internally motivated to eat enough and enjoy it, then we want them to initiate how much they want to eat at each meal and how they want to explore foods. But if we stand over them and say things like, well, have a bite. Here's a different one. How about this one? How about this one? Yay, you ate that one. If we do a whole lot of sort of cheerleading, we're taking the attention away from their motivation to eat and we're putting it into maybe they're eating because the parents are eat that. Go ahead, here, swallow, eat. Go ahead, eat that. You know, we want to make sure that the motivation for eating is coming from the baby. We give them cups, we give them spoons, we give them straws, we give them different shapes, foods, and sizes of foods. It's their pace as they go forward with that. And when we sort of insert ourselves in there accidentally, well-meaning, 
But when we do that, we sometimes really are having them look to us rather than build their own bravery and their own eating because they want to and stopping when they want to stop. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. Marsha Doug Klein has a way with words that like nobody else on the planet does. I love that you called it cheerleading because I'm like, I use the term micromanaging. Like the mom is up there like wiping the baby's face and touching this and moving that. And like the way you just described it is like your intention is good as a cheerleader and you want to see your baby succeed. But ultimately we have to learn as early on as a parent, you can't do everything for your kids. And it even starts in infancy where we need to take a step back. And you have been the person who's been keeping this baby alive with infant milk for the first six months of their life. So it is a little bit of a shift in your roles where all of a sudden you're like, hold up, my baby can be doing some of this. And I love the way you described that internal motivation. That was beautiful. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Katie. Another kind of early area that I want to support parents with is this whole messiness about eating. Because one of the things that I know from spending time studying babies that uh, the babies that come to me are the ones that are having challenges. But a lot of those kiddos have some worry about the sensory aspects of food. They don't like the feel of it, or they don't, they don't like the texture of it, or the smell is too big for them, or it looks funny. You know, I see a lot of those kiddos. But one of the ways that children absolutely naturally have rehearsals around food, that is a preview of what it's going to be like in your mouth, is when they get messy with it. And we've all seen babies all the time that pick it up and squish it and put it down and squish it and bring it to their mouth and take it away and pick it up and squish it and roll it away. And they don't need any of it this today, but maybe the next time they do. Or I, I can think of a baby that picked up this little piece of banana and put it in her mouth and took it out, put it in her mouth, took it out, put it in her mouth, took it out, and then took a bite and ate it and then mm -hmm. ate it, ate it, and ate it. Those previews, those rehearsals, those sensory explorations gave that baby bravery and helped that baby know, hey, I get the texture of this. I now know what it looks like. I got the smell. Hmm, I'm going to try to eat this. But the baby does it at their own pace. It's not like if the baby's kind of cautious with that banana, I want to put it in her mouth to make her eat it. She'll do it. You know, she'll do it. And the messiness is just part of it. So you mentioned when the parents, you know, some of us just want to wipe faces and not let kids put anything on the floor and not let them get messy. But actually, if we remember, that's part of their exploration process and really actually kind of necessary, then we help parents avoid some of the challenges that they could happen later. And if you guys like this conversation about sensory stuff, Marsha was also on the podcast in an episode called Sensory 101. It was episode 170. And she talked about what motivates babies to eat. And we went into a little more detail there about, you know, kind of the whole trend in parenting to over-diagnose and medicalize everything and people talking about their six-month-old having a sensory processing disorder because they heard the term one time and kind of just explore more of the sensory stuff in that episode. Again, that's episode 170. 
And I love the way you teach about the importance of the sensory experience without like hammering it into people's head. Because I was actually thinking of you the other day. I went to Alaska for the first time ever. I did a talk for the um, Alaska Academy of Family Physicians. And they are like, I love family physicians to begin with, but the ones in Alaska are amazing in the work they're doing with the different communities up there. And and they were kind of laughing at just the way I said I was from San Diego. And they were laughing at a part of my presentation. We talked about parents reading food labels and they were like, that's so California to be reading your food labels. And this one mom was telling me, oh, and that's also in California where you all send each other sensory boxes and sensory toys for your kids to play with. You want to know how my kids learned about sensory experience, shoving their hand in a sourdough starter and baking bread with me. And I was like, that's a sensory experience too. I get it. I, I thought of you because you were always teaching about these different sensory experiences. And there's lots of ways to achieve it if it's a sensory box and a purchased toy or a a bit of bread, which I don't know your thoughts about that. I personally am one of those humans that just thinks food is a sensory experience. And and so why are we going off and finding shaving cream and beans and rice when we could just, we could interact with food, right? We can actually use food as our way to learn about sensory. And for the parents and caregivers who are listening and they are feeling stressed and overwhelmed by this transition to solid foods, can you share a final tip about how they can be supportive even on the hard days? Yes, I can try. And you know, when I think about it as a hard day, I guess I want to know more question, more information about that. Of course because you do, because you're a therapist. <laughs> yeah, because on a hard day, the, the baby may not want to eat because they're teething. And okay, most babies teeth and they have, you know, ups and downs and their intake changes. And with baby lid weaning, you know so well that babies start out with just little minor tastes and bits. You know, they're not getting whole entire meals. I mean, the amount, the ability to take in a lot more food and then less breast milk or bottle milk, that evolves over time. But if we could just remember that, you know, your your baby's doing the best they can at this moment, and it's not the same exact way at every meal, that is helpful information. I, I guess I generally trust babies, even though I work with lots of babies that have a lot of difficulties and challenges, I generally trust babies to sort of show us this is what I need today, and this is what I need tomorrow. And I guess my biggest bit of advice is when we get worried as grownups, it is our, what we do is we can hover a little extra. We can get a little more worried and a little bit more, here's some food, here's some food, here's some food. And and if we can try not to do that, if we can try to back up and just be there for them, it's going to look a little different each day. And what we have to remember is they're leading the pace. We're doing the offering. We're not doing the demanding. And we're just loving them through their exploration of learning about new foods. Marsha, thank you so much, as always, for sharing your time and your expertise, your insight with us. If there are parents out there or healthcare professionals listening who want to sign up for one of your upcoming courses, where's the best place to do that? www.getpermissioninstitute.com is our online platform. I would say if you've got an older child who has some pickiness and some extra worry, the Dear Parent Talk that's free would be an interesting one for you to check out. Um, but for a lot of our new parents with six-month-olds that are just really beginning baby led weaning, it's, you know, you're not coming into problems that are the, you know, the kind of bigger problems we see with some of our older kids with, with those kind of challenges. Our platform has a brand new talk called Trust at the Table with Stephanie Cohen. And she's she talks a lot about the importance of trust and connection. And it's a fabulous uh, talk for parents and professionals. So um, that might be an interesting one for a lot of people sort of thinking about trust and connection from 
in a different way than we ever have before. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Besides baby led weaning, what other type of podcasts do you like to listen to? Well, if you're into true crime and you also dig traveling, I want to tell you about a new podcast you are going to love. The new podcast is called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that all take place on vacation. So the show is hosted by a true crime fanatic and her comedy writer husband, and he has a TV producing partner. So Slaycation brings a totally unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, what the heck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong from the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, their two recently engaged lovebirds, whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended up underwater. Every episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that will intrigue you. I think you're going to love the discussion between the longtime married couple and the business partners. They also happen to be an Emmy-nominated TV producer's Every episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that are going to keep your next family vacation from becoming your last. So if you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And Stephanie was recently on the podcast. We actually did two different interviews together. She talked a little bit about responsive feeding in episode 312, and then some of these picky eating prevention tips in episode 306, just kind of, you know, setting your baby up for success. Because as many feeding therapists do, they talk, you know, a lot of the, what we see is actually preventable. And so sharing some of the suggestions and the tips and the tactics that you might start employing now to hopefully, you know, we love the work you do, Marsha, but at the end of the day, we want people to not have to go to feeding therapy if some of these things that are preventable are taken care of earlier in the feeding relationship. Absolutely. And you know, inadvertently, we can get our roles confused if we remember that it's our role to offer, to provide opportunities that are developmentally appropriate and loving, and to eat with children so they learn about eating from us, from being around us, from watching our eating, and let them go at their own pace. I think we're, well, it generally goes pretty darn well. And I'm glad we break up all of these episodes because I feel like you've been on the podcast probably more than anyone else. And the whole idea of like each time we talk, you're like, oh my gosh, let's do this one next time. But you came on an episode 206 in an episode called Stay in Your Lane, Parent and Baby Roles in Infant Feeding. And that's another interview with Marsha. And if you guys are like, hmm, I wonder what my job is, or I, I get confused about what the baby's supposed to be doing and what I'm supposed to be doing. Episode 206 about staying in your lane. That was packed with great info from Marsha about the difference between parent and baby roles. Marsha, thank you again so much. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks, Katie. I love being here. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Marsha Dunklein. She is seriously one of my favorite people on the planet. We were talking after the interview about the positive language stuff because it's just something I have to practice that it comes so naturally to her. And she said, well, yes, I am. My, you know, my word cheerleading is perhaps a little bit softer than micromanaging. And I was like, yes, it totally is. 
She's amazing. Check out all of her offerings at GetPermissionInstitute.com. I'm going to link up a money of the other resources and the different episodes that she's already been on, some of the things we chatted about in today's interview. That'll all be on the show notes for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 320. And thank you to our partners at Airwave Media. If you guys like podcasts about food and science and using your brain, check out some of the podcasts from Airwave Media. We're online at blwpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening and being here and I'll see you next time.